Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin, the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host, and today I have with me my loving and understanding and kind co-host, Deborah Micus. Hello. And today we'll be interviewing Karen Mills from Miss Jenny's Treats in Mableton, Georgia. How are you doing today, Karen? I'm doing well. Thank you. So, Karen, tell us a little bit about how you became a food entrepreneur and your background. Okay. Um, let's see. So uh, I guess it's a little bit interesting. Uh, born and raised in Macon, Georgia. I attended Georgia Tech. I have a degree in electrical engineering. Worked as an engineer for about four and a half years up in the North Carolina area. Became a registered professional engineer. And then I quit and went to law school at the uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I've been practicing law now for about 20 years, but during that time when I graduated from law school, I worked for a mid-sized law firm in the Atlanta area that had about 135 attorneys. And as an associate, when I first started there, at holiday season, I I was trying to figure out what things can I make for um, my clients and colleagues. And so got a recipe from my sister who was a a nurse at the time, and I think it was from someone else that, you know, or either pulled it off of, uh, she pulled it off of the Internet. And it was a recipe for spiced pecans. And so I uh, made some at the holiday season for clients and colleagues, and everybody just absolutely loved them. And so every year. From that point forward, I would always make them, you know, for holiday season. And everybody would always be like, oh, can you, uh, you need to sell these or you need to make them more often. And I'm like, are you crazy? I barely have enough time to do my legal work. And so I truly don't have time to be making these pecans more than one time a year. Well, fast forward about 15 years later when I had my own law firm, and it was a couple of months before the holiday season, I said, you know, Everybody's been saying for years that I should actually try to sell these things. So I said, you know what? What I'll do is I will um, try to sell them at a flea market that is located kind of right in Macon, Georgia, with Smiley's Flea Market. And I said, you know what I'll do? I'll put them in little mason jars, and I got a graphics um, designer to put together a little uh, logo of um, a pecan and she had eyelashes and boots on and it was absolutely hilarious. And so I said, you know what, let me think of what should I call them because I said, you know what, I'll use Miss Jenny's, um, Miss Jenny's Spice Pecans and that's what I was going to do. And then my late mother, whose name was Jeanette, I said I would do a play off of her name. So that's how we came about with the Miss Jenny's. And so when I was uh, at the flea market, it was in December, um, and was calling them Miss Jenny Spice Pecans. It was, of course, giving samples to people, and people were liking them. But then, you know, of course, some were hesitant, and they were like, are they hot? And I was like, no, you know, the, the mixture is a cinnamon sugar mixture. But the name Spice Pecans would make people be hesitant. So a couple of things that I learned out of that, um, that little thing going on that weekend was that one um, I need to do a name change because I said spice pecans was confusing um, to people. And then I said by the uh, holiday season of 2016, because mind you, this was December 2015, I will launch a website. So what I did was do a name change. Now it's Miss Jenny's Treats, <laughs> Divine Pecans. That's what they're known as. And I did launch that website in 2016, which is com. And so uh, they are available online. I don't have a storefront. 
Um, and they've uh, been doing pretty well. And I'm still, you know, marketing them. And I, of course, still practice law, have my own law firm. I do lots of presentations. And when I'm in my presentations, I tell people that, you know, uh, people are hesitant to buy high-priced legal services. I said, but they'll buy these pecans all day long. So <laughs> those asked me, what would I choose? I said, you know what, whichever one they're going to buy, that's what I'll go with. And so one... Um Awesome. I'm a UNC graduate as well, Chapel Hill. I did my MBA there, so that's pretty awesome, hey, small world. Feel right. Yeah. And, um, but I, I mean, so you sort of have this, I mean, electrical engineering to jumping to law, to law now, to food. Um, I mean, did you come from an entrepreneurial family um, beforehand? Nope. Absolutely not. I think I might be one of the first people in the family to uh, actually have ventured into entrepreneurship, which, of course, we know is for the faint in heart. So, no, I just was like, you know what, I'm just one that any gift and talent I have, I actually want to use. So I was like, whether it's the engineering, whether it's law, whether it's entrepreneurship with the pecans, I'm an adjunct professor over at uh, Emory Law School. So people are like, what all did you do? I was like, look, just use your gifts and talents. Do it. So I'm just never afraid, and I'm never afraid of no and you just try it, see if it works, and if it doesn't, try something else. Well, and I love it. So, I mean, tell us, I mean, you have pecans. Do you have other flavors of pecans? I mean, I what don't, are... and I laugh because I get, I'll ask all the time, I'll do chocolate. Oh, I was like, no. I said, you know what? Let me stick with my one product. I said, because, and I have, of course, in different packaging sizes. I said, because when I do different products, of course, that means, more nutrition fact panels, more ingredients, more something like, nope, I'll stick with what I know. And I'm like, I know there are others out here who do chocolate pecans and all the others. And so my thing is, have at it, go with them. I'm sticking with the one item that I have. So that's it. Just the Simply Divine Pecans, lightly coated with the cinnamon sugar mix. So how well do you promote your, your website since that's where you're doing all your sales? I mean, do you continue to go you know, to farmer's I markets? Really have to do a much up. I, I have to do a much better job of that. I am one that uh, really old school, uh, that I'm not doing a whole lot of social media. We do have uh, a presence on Instagram, Facebook, but I have to do much more um, with respect to the posting and all. So trying to engage and actually looking for a social media marketing person right now to assist me with that. Um, so, you know, just kind of more from word of mouth, through clients, through colleagues, when I'm doing my presentations, one thing that I have learned, um, because I do lots of presentations as a lawyer, because I do corporate transactional contracts and business law, I, when I'm doing my presentations now, um, in, instead of giving away the pens and all these other things, I actually give away uh, the sample size packages of the Miss Jenny's treats, and I put my law firm logo on there. I was like, hey, why am I buying all these other promotional items when I can use my own to promote my law firm? And as well as when you turn on the back, you have all the information about Miss Jenny's treats. Well, I love that, and it's it's cross pollinization for your businesses as well as a as an entrepreneur and and promoting your other businesses as well. And uh, what a perfect group! I mean, there's all this the people that are obviously need lawyers now. What type of law do you uh, practice? I should probably ask first before I make this statement. Yeah, and I 
Yeah, I do corporate transactional contracts and business law. I like to say I do everything from helping you form the entity to selling the entity and a lot in between. And a lot in between is usually contract review, negotiation, and drafting. And I wanted to make sure I clarified and I heard correctly because I think in that type of law, there's corporations and people in corporations, they're always doing gifts and they're always trying to do things during the holidays. And, and so that connection with what you're doing, I think, is pretty cool. Yes. Yep. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And not only with just corporations, but even the, the where you have the single member LLC or the sole shareholder that they also might need some promotional items as well. Yes. So who predominantly right now is your client? I mean, are, is it mostly to the corporate world and um, other entrepreneurs who come in to utilize your legal services? Is that who predominantly? Or do you have even yet a bigger crowd from like when you've done farmer's markets or those types of things? It's a combination, really, because you, I have those that are um, like uh, hotels. I'm in a few hotels. I'm actually in the Hampton Inn in Kennesaw, Hotel Indigo at Vining, Canopy, Midtown Hotel. That's a Hilton Hotel that's also in Midtown. Um, I also vend a lot uh, at various companies and in lobbies of the larger corporations, um, which I want to do more of that this holiday season, so I'm actually working on that now. I've been in, like, the 201 building down in Atlantic Station. I was just at the Biltmore for Mother's Day. I was up in Founders Park, so that's a and, – and when I've been there, of course, you have a lot of the tenants who, of course, coming down, and then they end up getting on the website and placing orders as well. Uh, when I'm out speaking with, with for law as well, and, and it's always such a – a good point to be able to bring that up and also show the entrepreneur side that's outside of law, and I, I will get orders from that as well. So it's just a wide variety of clients. I mean, considering you have so many hotels and stuff, I mean, at first I was thinking you would probably have a lot of seasonality, and like at the holiday season in December, you would have way higher sales, but with all of these hotels, maybe it's more consistent. So do you see a consistent sales on uh, month to month, or do you have uh, peaks around the holiday season? It, it's funny because with a couple of hotels, it is consistent, um, and then the holiday season is definitely a peak time uh, for ordering. So it seems like that's when everybody somehow thinks of the pecans. And I always, when I'm out vending and just have to make sure to let them know, you know, they're great to go on salad, you know, not just, you know, as a great snack, but good salads. They're good to go on top of desserts. I mean, on ice cream, they're great to go on top of pancakes. I have people telling me, you know, when they've given them out to teachers and, and the teachers will come back and say to them as a teacher appreciation gift, I'm like, oh, I used them. You know, I made them with you some pecans uh, on the pancakes that I cook. So I like to hear about the ways, the various ways that the customers and the clients are utilizing them. I mean, and as a lawyer, I mean, as and I imagine and if it were me, but so I'm just I'm projecting a little bit here. But it's like through your experience in launching your own food business and, and understanding nutritional and, and some of the laws in food and creating a website and all that, I've got to imagine you're getting an experience in food and the laws associated with food and, and starting a food business that can basically apply so you can help businesses and entrepreneurs 
in their transactions with food and contracts, et cetera? Um, or was it the other way around? Did you have experience in it before and then applied it to your food business? No, I think it's really because, I, uh, of course, knowing about contracts from um, the, the legal experience, but it's a whole nother world. I'm seeing that when I decided to go the food products route to understand, you know, what's required from um, the Georgia Department of Agriculture, just seeing so many different things that it's truly a different world. So it's kind of, it has, this process has opened my eyes to a lot of different things regarding food products. I mean, because you mentioned the nutritional labels and doing one of them. I mean, I know uh, Deborah and I and being food entrepreneurs and, and beverage entrepreneurs that the amount of work that it takes our company to do nutritional labels and, and the crossing your eyes, I mean, crossing your T's and dotting your eyes, how hard it is. And so, I mean, you mentioned it. So you're learning as you go. I mean, I mean, is there other people out there that you've gone to? I know there's there's trainings and, and help out there from uh, University of Georgia and things like that? Or have you just gone about this on your own and learn as you've gone? Well, you know, it was funny is uh, I, some of my colleagues, uh, legal colleagues are the ones that will know and they'll tell me about uh, people that they know, like somebody that's, you know, making chocolate, been making chocolate for years, you know, and they'll give me the name and contact number for that particular person. And I'll just call and, you know, ask information, especially when I was first starting out, because I'm just, I'm a big one on, I like to share information with others. And I believe there are other people who are like me, you know, I know some people are like, oh, no, I'm going to help them, because if I help them, then I might end up losing out on something. Well, I've never been like that, you know, regardless of what I've done, whether it's engineering law or, you know, now this. So I will just call up someone and I'll ask questions, and that's one of the ways that I found out uh, more about the nutrition fact panels. And, and even, you know, at initially, while they not might not necessarily be required um, on some of the products, it's like, but if you're going to, of course, be in that retail space, that's what people will want. So it's like, you know what, let me go ahead, invest in all of this now. And that's why I'm so cautious and, and leery when people are like, oh, add this to your product. That. I'm like, nope, not going to do it because I know how much. And all of those, every time you add something to it, that's additional cost all the way around from everything, from ingredients to nutrition fact panels to different packaging. And it's like you have to think about all of these things. Every little change impacts because it creates a waterfall effect. So I'm just like very cautious of it. It's like, no, I think there are other people out here that may do those flavors and please see if you can find them. <laughs> and so how are you handling all your production? Do you still, are you doing it yourself how you used to when it was just for gifts or have you had to ramp it up? Well, it's still predominantly me, but I also have assistance now when I go in the kitchen. Not like when I was doing before, because, of course, I am in a commercial kitchen, but I take people in with me who that makes everything so much easier. And the thing about these pecans is that, you know, you can make them well in advance, and they keep, you know, for at least I feel a good six months. Other people may say longer, but I just feel for me I like that, that six-month time period. And so... You can really, you know, go in, make lots of batches of it, and then, you know, of course, package them um, according to what the orders are. 
So everybody's like, well, how can you do that in law, too? I'm like, it's easy because, you know, it doesn't take a lot to go into that kitchen. You set aside those hours. You can make lots of batches and, and, you know, set aside that particular day to do that and then have your product ready and whenever people are ready to order and you can package them. And, I mean, that seems like a huge advantage, especially with the holiday season being so big and to be able to kind of ramp up your production and stockpile a little bit so that when that time hits, you're not just in the weeds trying to keep up with your orders. Exactly. And I learned that the hard way because I was (laughs) trying to do all of it at one time and it was like, no way, you cannot do that. You know, of course, when you had the few orders here, few orders there, you could do it all I could make some that morning, package them that afternoon, and all that. Not now. I'm like, no way does that work. So now you really have to schedule things out, and I have to be very intentional regarding um, uh, the the you know making them, baking them, and then of course intentional with packaging them as well, and then of course shipping as well. And so you do all that yourself: the packaging, the shipping, the the making sure all the orders are fulfilled. Yes, but I, I have help when I need it, so I'm able to engage others to help me as well. So it's not just, just me, not just me, but I have others that I engage as well. I think that's pretty awesome, and, and having help and where you are, I mean, so I mean, I'm going to ask this question just because we're sort of, we talked about December of 2015, but if you could go back and tell yourself the things you know now, you know, a few things that you wish you knew then, what would they be? Oh, oh my goodness! Let me see because it's so many. <laughs> so well, many hey, if it's more things. than three, you can. We've we've got plenty of time, yeah. so you can go in as know, many I'm as you just want. Laughing, but um, <laughs> just understanding the process and try not to. And I think for me, trying to do everything on my own without any help because you feel like, oh, I you know, by the time I show them how to do it, I might as well do it myself because I have a very type A personality, especially from engineering and law. But now I realize, nope, you cannot do it all yourself. So that's part of the thing. I think I probably would have engaged assistance much earlier. Um, Another thing now, too, is um, also um, don't be afraid to use your network for uh, to get assistance because one thing that I learned, like when my other commercial kitchen was closing, the owner was leaving to go out of the move out of the country, um, and I found out through uh, an, uh, a notice that I had received from the, the Georgia Department of Agriculture, and I was like, you know, that it was the year after I had gotten my initial certification, and when they sent the form to uh, for me to complete, I was like, no, this is the correct form. You know, I, that was the form last year when I was going into the commercial kitchen. Now I'm in one, and they were like, um, so I called them, and they were like, no, it's our understanding that your commercial kitchen is going to be closing in about a month. And I was like, what? You know, I had been in the kitchen that that, that particular day. And so I called up one of the assistants that was there, and they're like, oh, you didn't know? And I'm like, no, I didn't know. You know, so I found out that way. So what I did was I just, you know, got on my network, sent an email out to my legal colleagues, some clients, just everybody I could get my hands on saying, hey, you know, my commercial kitchen will be closing in about a month or so. Do you all have any leads? And let me tell you, I got more leads at that point then. So, uh, you know, and I've always kind of been hesitant, like, oh, do I cross the line? You know, these are my legal clients, you know, that, you know, 
And and I was so glad that I did because it was actually one of them that helped me get into the kitchen. They introduced me to the person that I'm in the kitchen in right now. And um, I think if I went back, I would have told myself, make sure you do that earlier. And then also just understand all of the costs that are involved because we all know it takes money to make money. So that's another thing to think about all because, you know, of course, it's a little different with legal. You know, of course, you have the cost of all the setup as far as the, you know, the marketing material, things like that. But then, of course, usually, you know, you're getting some feet in advance um, with the deposits and all, but a little bit different when it's coming to food products, right? Because, uh, of course, with the online orders, they will pay in advance. But then a lot of times when you're doing these bulk orders for a lot of the larger corporations, you know, you get paid, of course, you know, 30 days, 60 days out. So just making sure to kind of have a better feel about that, that would be another thing I would make sure to, uh, would have told my old self as well. Yeah, I think cash flow is an important thing to to mention is because as long as that, that money's out the 30 to 60 days, that's money you can't use to make more product or grow your business or market your business. That money's tied up and actually in someone else's hands. Exactly. Uh, and uh, and we, we actually talk about this a lot in, in our business is it's like sometimes people don't pay you for six day, 60 days. It's like you're funding their business uh, and, and being right. their bank because they're basically getting the money for the, or a product for free and haven't paid you yet. And, and you're sitting there out the money. So it's a, it's a very interesting thing you have to balance. I agree with you. I think that's so important that entrepreneurs who start in any business, you know, food, beverage, nutrition, but any entrepreneurial venture understand the cash flow and what happens with buying product versus billing the customer and how long the cash is not in your hands and really understanding what that looks like. Cause you can be profitable on paper, but if you don't have cash flow coming in at a, on a basis that you can replenish and keep building product or in this case, cooking product, um, on a regular basis with the money coming in, you end up in a position where you're putting more money into the business than the business is actually cash flowing because you're constantly trying to grow with money that's not there yet. That's right. I agree. And I, even when I am counseling my legal clients as well, you know, we talk, you know, because I do a lot of contract drafting, review, negotiation, I tell them, I'm like, look, we know we can put in this contract that, of course, the invoices are due net 30, net I said, but in reality, it may be net 60, net, net 90. And I said, and what are you realistically going to do with a client that you want to retain the business? You're not going to go out there and sue them because then you are biting the hand that feeds you, right? So I was like, you need to make sure that you have something in place and that is usually trying to have you some cash flow to be able to sustain you during that time before um, the, you receive that invoice payment. Yeah, and I agree with that. And actually, that kind of brings me to my next question, which is just because of your background and you're also a lawyer and you have, you're in corporate law, basically. And, um, well, not basically, actually. And it's, um, you know, so if you had legal advice based on your knowledge for food entrepreneurs, I mean, what would some of that be? And I obviously don't give away the farm because I still want people to pay you, but it's, um, but sort of just an overview of like, 
a couple of things that you think are so important that, that food entrepreneurs as they're starting a business or beverage entrepreneurs or however you want to look at it should know from a legal standpoint when they start a business like this now that you've seen both sides of the business? Okay. One of the things, because I do a, a presentation on the legal side regarding certain legal pitfalls that I see, uh, and that it kind of goes the gamut of all industries. And one of the things about that is we are good at, uh, when we form the entity uh, and file the necessary documentation with the Secretary of State, in this case, the Georgia Secretary of State's office, we file the Articles of Organization if it's a limited liability company. We file the Articles of Incorporation if it is a corporation. And typically, we stop at that point, right? We could Because one, is cheap. It's usually a, what, about a $100 filing fee. We've done it. But then it's so much more to it. Do you have your corporate minute book documentation? Do you have all of those other things in there? If you are a limited liability company, do you have your operating agreement? If you are a corporation, do you have your bylaws? And if it's a, uh, if you have more than one shareholder, do you have a shareholders agreement? I mean, do you have these documents that literally are going to tell you how the company is going to run? Also, how about this? This is a big one. When I'm doing presentations, I'm asking, hey, show me that you are the owner of the company. And people will say, well, I'll have the business cards. I said, look, I can go to Staples and get business cards that, may, that say I'm the owner. I said, that doesn't prove that you're an owner. I said, really, what proves that you are the owner of the corporation is having that unit certificate if you are a limited liability company or it is a stock certificate if you are a corporation. And that is evidencing that your ownership interest in that particular entity, whether it's the LLC or if it's a corporation. And those are items that you will find in the item called a corporate minute book, which will, of course, contain a corporate seal so that if you have documents in which you need to sign and that you have, um, and it actually requires uh, your corporate seal on there, and there are usually some top bank documents or maybe some real estate documents, you have that. You have that in your corporate minute book. And so what I find is that we're good at just stopping at that point and not getting the remaining documentation to show that we are indeed prudent business people and that if we want to seek bank financing or we want to seek certification as a particular, like a minority entity or a woman-owned business, those documents will be necessary to complete those applications. So I just, I hate when people stop with that. And usually it's the cost involved. That's what it is. And so what I've done lately over the last few weeks when I've been teaching and, and at various presentations, I'm trying to lower the cost a little bit regarding those because I know that's a hurdle that, as I know, I'm like, look, I'm a small business. I understand as well, but I also want to make sure that you have a good legal foundation. And to me, having a good legal foundation is having all of your corporate entity formation, your corporate governance documents done when you are forming your entity. So that's one big thing. The other big thing is that I often see is that we will not, we are big on signing things and not understanding what we're signing. That blows my mind. I'm like, if you, and then it's usually after you've signed it, then it's like, well, well okay, then the problems occur. And, and if you come to me at that point, I'm like, you know, pretty much at that point, all I can do is get you to a litigator. And you're usually going to have to file, a, you know, file suit and you end up in court and who knows how long that's going to take. But I said, let's think about some of these things on the front end 
read the document that you're signing, understand. And if you don't, go to someone that will be able to understand those and be able to explain them to you. I know a lot of times people are hesitant with lawyers. They always say with cost, cost, cost. I'm like, okay, now you want to get paid for your goods and services. We do it as well. But one thing that I often tell people is that when you get a lawyer, first of all, your lawyer should be your trusted advisor. So, um, and you should feel comfortable with what advice they're providing to you. And, uh, and not only that, you get their network. And so I tell my clients, uh, you know, often that if, I, if it's something like if I know of events that I think may be a benefit to them, I'm sharing that information. I, my whole thing is if, it's, if you can't use it, share it with someone who can because I want you to thrive all the way around. And I don't want you to and, – and also don't get the lawyer just when you need them. I'm like start talking to people in advance because a lot of times what happens is you know, I'll have people contact me like on a Friday saying, okay, I'm, I have to sign this contract by Monday morning, and I have no idea who these people are. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I already, one, have promised my clients other things as well. But it's like establish that relationship with someone ahead of time and because it's, it will truly benefit you in the long run. Well, and I think that goes for everything. And, and, because, I mean, as entrepreneurs, we sign lease or we buy buildings and, and things like that. And we think, oh, we have the experience in buying our home that we can also sign leases and, and buy buildings. And we often skew that there, there is a lot of differences in a lease or buying a commercial piece of property that you should have a lawyer look over that contract uh, for your own benefit, especially when you're leasing and when tr- triple net things come in and things like that. And and making sure that you're being given the things that you're being promised, you know, even if it's down to the electricity or down to the power or water or whatever it is that you need as an entrepreneur going into your business, that you want someone to look over those documents with a background and an understanding of legal language. Because let's be honest, I've been doing this a long time and I've read a lot of contracts and and a, a lot of leases and things like that. But still to this day, I mean, I don't fully understand the language, you know? So it's basically, I wouldn't go into to Spain and start speaking Spanish without a translator. And so it's like, right. you know, it's, it's having someone trusted that can translate that language for you and make sure that you're protected. And I think that it's so important. We've actually never talked about it on this podcast before, but this was sort of an opportunity to do it is the importance of having sound legal advice at the very beginning and and getting someone and having someone you trust all the way through. I mean, I know in our companies, we we've had the same lawyers represent us from, from the day that we've been formed because they know our business. Now they know the type of business we do. They know what we look for in our contracts. They know what we look for in our leases and things like that. And I can tell you, in my experience at the one time we didn't have them check something, it cost us millions of dollars. Uh, and that's something that happened recently. And when we didn't do that, we, by not having our team that's worked with us forever and letting it slide through and rushing something along on a timeline and not taking the time to have our lawyers look at it, it cost us a lot of money. And it was a huge uh, mess up for us on our end. And it's something that you can't recover from. Fortunately for us, we're, we're able to continue to move forward. But in a lot of cases, that's not the case. That can be a crippling experience, especially when it comes to contracts with vendors or contracts with customers or clients. 
Or even insurance policies. Insurance policies, exactly. And so I think it's so cool that we we have you on the podcast, Karen, because I think you have just such a plethora of knowledge in... And now with your experience as a food entrepreneur, so the ability to sort of apply it to, to us as entrepreneurs. Well, thank you. I tried to, I was like, you know what, this is a way, because I'm, I'm big on wanting to make sure that entrepreneurs have that firm legal foundation. And I just hate seeing it over and over and over again. And it's like, you know what, if it's something that we can be able to help with, and I, and I think it's so many people's hesitation to even talk with attorneys because, you know, I know we, we get a bad rep all the time. But it's like, no, 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 we're just regular people, too, and, we, uh, and there are attorneys out here who are truly trying to assist you, and, that, and we are those that want to be able to see your business grow. And I'm so glad that you all have an attorney that, and, and, and I'm thankful for you sharing that story because a lot of times those types are exactly what happens. I always caution my clients when I, if there's somebody that's trying to rush you with something, I'm like, that's a red flag right there. I said, because prudent business people understand that, one, it takes time to have something properly reviewed and that you have to give that other side a time to be able to get with their attorneys or whoever they're going to have reviewing it. And so when I hear people like, I, I got the contract today on Thursday, and they say I must sign it by 9 a.m. on Friday, I'm like, wait a minute, that's a red flag right there. And I'm like, and understand that everybody doesn't have your best interest at heart, and sometimes people are hoping that you don't review it because then it's like after the fact, then they're going to be like, well, no, no, because usually there's going to be that entire agreement clause or it's called an integration clause or a merger clause that's basically saying, you know what, if it's not in the four corners of this agreement, we don't want to know about emails, phone calls, or discussions that you had because at the end of the day, you signed this contract as is. Yeah, and it, it's like in if you ever go to court, it, it well, there's hearsay, but there's also that a conversation between you doesn't matter if you signed a piece of paper that says something different. So having a negotiation, none of that matters, and you can't bring the negotiation to court because that's exactly what it was. It was a negotiation until you signed the piece of paper. That's right. That's right. Oh, you are exactly right. So, And that's why I'm just trying to educate so many people with that. I used to, when I do presentations, I'm like, well, I want everybody to get as much information. Now it's like if one person gets one piece of information that they can use or someone they know can use, I'm good. <laughs> That's good. Well, so, and I, I just want to pause for a second because we talked about your food business, obviously, and, and Miss Jenny's treats, but what is your, I mean, I want to help people because I think you have a unique knowledge base in that you're doing food and, and you understand packaging and shipping and, and you're sort of getting this real life experience. It's not just, I have a client who does it. You're actually doing it. Plus you're, you're on the law side, practicing law. So how, if, if a person is an entrepreneur, a food entrepreneur, beverage entrepreneur, or any entrepreneur for that matter, and wants to come to you and, and ask for help, I mean, how do they get a hold of you and what's your law firm uh, called? Okay, so my law firm is Mills Law, LLC. So Mills Law, LLC, and the website for it is MillsLawLLC.com. Um, my uh, email address for the law firm is Karen.Mills, K A R E N dot M I L L S at 
M-I-L-L-S-L-A-W-L-L-C.com. So it's Karen.Mills at MillsLawLLC.com. So that's the way they can reach out to me um, for, for law as well. And so um, I want to start, sort of dive a little bit more into this, but what is, I mean, what are some of the experiences, um, hardships that you've had as both a food entrepreneur and as a legal entrepreneur? I think like you see things in twofold. So I, I like it that we're telling the story a little bit different, but what are some of the hardships that you've had, I guess, being an entrepreneur in, in both arenas that you are an entrepreneur in? Oh, I think in both. The biggest thing is I always say, you know what, when you have clients, you're looking for clients. When you don't have clients, you're looking for clients. So it's all about the client and customer development all the time, you know. And I think a lot of times people don't realize that I'm like, that's it. That's what you have to do, and you have to do it all the time. And I'm like, and that's been the most frustrating thing on the legal side as well as with the food products because you're always looking for those customers and clients, and then you're looking for a particular one. Like with law, I want folks who need legal services and can pay for them, not an or, but and can pay for them, right? And then on the food product side, I'm realizing, too, you know how you think, like, for instance, I'm like, oh, I want to be in the airport. I want, well, you know, I'm going through a little process right now, and I'm realizing, like, wait a minute, I'm not sure if it's going to work pricing-wise to be in the airport because I don't think I have enough volume to give the kinds of discounts that they would need in order to be able to make the profit margin that they would want. So it's like, you know what, but it's also part of that growing process and the lessons learned that, you know what, those are the kinds of things that help you eliminate, like, well, you know what, that may not be a target audience for me. You know, you hear other people telling you, oh, you need to be in the airport, you need to be there. But then when you start looking at the numbers, it's like, mm, may not necessarily be the right thing at this time. So then you see, and then on another note, I just got a big order from, um, you know, from another company here that in its more promotional marketing items where they're like, you know what, we want Georgia products, we want our logo on there, and it was just an excellent sale. And I worked with the folks there, and it was just such a pleasant experience the way I realized, you know what, I need to really focus on this promotional marketing side of the Miss Jenny's Treats. So those hardships, one is just understanding about client development and customer development, all the time, um, you know, you're always uh, trying to get is price points are always something because you know on legal as well as with the uh, food products because you want a price to where people want it, but you also have to realize that wait a minute, I have to make a living too. And I often tell people because you would get people or whatever, you need to charge this. You need like wait a minute. I get to choose what pro bono work I do. Nobody else chooses it for me. And I was like, and so you have to stand firm on that as well because sometimes, and what I've learned too on both legal and with the food products, that, you know, um, you have to give some services sometime, of course, before you may be able to get a lot. But I also realize it's up to me to choose those, and I don't let people choose that for me because I love that people – want you to do your presentations, they want you to do everything for free. And I'm like, I understand that to a point, but it's like, you know what, I have to have that fine line where it's like, wait a minute, because I'm spending, because with the legal side, all I'm doing is selling my services, right? And then, of course, with the food product, I actually have a product, but a lot of times with it, you can talk about how great that food product is all day long, but until somebody tastes it, 
that is it. So a lot of times with that, you're having to give out samples, and you talk to other food, you know, food entrepreneurs, and they're like, yeah, we're having to give out so many samples, but I also understand that that is part of the process as well. So those hardships of trying to understand, you know, about the client, customer development, understand that you're having to give out a lot of things, and then just trying to find those right customers and clients who are willing to pay for your services because sometimes they aren't. They're like, oh, I can find this cheaper somewhere else, or I can find that. Yeah, you may be able to find that somewhere else, but it's not the one that I particular I made or, or it's not the services that I am providing. So you have to become confident in your services and not get jaded and get so concerned about what everybody else is doing because one thing I have learned is that, you know, when you talk to others and you find out what things work for them, it's like, you know what? Everything works. The key is you have to find out what works best for you. No, and I agree with that um, 100%. And I agree in that also that you have to give stuff away. And actually, we co-package a lot of products. And it's an interesting scenario in that, um, like, obviously, we're a for-profit business. But people come to us and are like, okay, we need you to make a pallet of X, and we're going to give it away as samples. And then we're like, okay, well, here's your price. Well, they're like, well, what do you mean this is your price? I'm giving it away. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you're giving it away. We're not giving it away. But it comes back to what you just said is it's finding people that you want to work with that, A, value your service and value your service enough that they're willing to pay for it. But not only are they willing to pay for it, but they can pay for it. And that's one of those things where there's so many people out there that jump in too fast or don't have the financial wherewithal or want to grow too fast in a business and they 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 kill themselves financially before they've ever started and and i think it's it's to the point uh what we just talked about which is you know you're not if you're going to start a business get legal advice but if you're also going to start a business get an accountant or someone that you can have i don't care what your background is even if it is an accountant get someone else to help bounce information off of because you know there's ways and cash and the way things move and running a business that's so important and i don't know i got to tell you we've had our fair share of people that even though they looked like they could pay and they were willing to pay you still have to chase them down at the end of the day i mean there's some days where i'm like are we professional bill collectors or are we in food production exactly i wholeheartedly agree and it's amazing to me that a lot of the people who you think are of all of these means they are the ones that it, I just, they killed me. They want everything, you know, for a penny. They want, and you're like, are you kidding me, right? And and then you have others who you would think would probably say, oh, I need it to be at this price. And they're the ones they will pay full price and won't even question you. So it's just amazing to me how some of the misconceptions out here with certain people as well. Yeah, and I think, um, and, and, and to take that a step further, I mean, a person that comes in, they may have done well at being a business person or whether, but again, I don't, I've done well, but I don't understand law per se. I mean, I have the basics from experience and all that, but I certainly don't speak the language, nor do I want to go negotiate contracts from a legal standpoint or try to rewrite something. I can make suggestions and, and Deborah does a great job at this in reviewing contracts, but we still have to have it overviewed. And 
a lot of the times you're right. The people that have, that look like they're financially sound and do well, they're often the hardest to deal with also. So there's this weird balance you have to find like, okay, well, if I'm arguing over every penny, I'm spending way more money and time than just producing the product for you. So, you know, this is, this is a little bit of a thing. And then there's the people that, you know, are just willing to pay for it, that value the service, that value a partnership. And I think that that's an important thing to what you're saying is that don't, uh, don't look at it as your lawyer is, is works for you. They're your partner. And like you said, there's someone that can give you sound advice and don't look at your accountant as someone you're paying and they need to do what you say. They are your partner. So when you look at it that way, I think the transaction of money looks a little bit different. It's obviously paying for a service, but it's also you're doing it in a partnership because you're both benefiting. And I think that's, that's exactly so important. Right. And you know, it's, to me, when you say that, because you hit it spot on. And, and what happens is when I get clients that are like that, that we are teaming up, it's not, I, it, it's certain things that I may not even charge them for that they call and ask me for because I'm trying to help them out, right? And see, it's funny because you'll get those clients when you give them whatever the initial, because I'm good at estimating what things are going to cost. Or I, a lot of times I try to do flat fees with something. And then when they're questioning that, the other day I had to send an email to someone like, please choose to use someone else because, you know, because, you know, some money, you know, all money is not good money. And because one thing I realized with folks that are like that, that are questioning up on, on the front end, they're just a nightmare and it would be a disaster to work with long term. But what that particular person fails to realize is that, you know what, your attorney should be your trusted advisor and that you don't even understand all the other benefits that you may receive. Because just like I told you that, you know, if I know of events that I think may be a benefit, I'm sending out emails to folks saying things like this. Or if I have clients that it may be some synergies there where they could partner together, I'm making introductions to them. I mean, you, and then if you have other issues, you might have an employment law issue. You may have litigation, you may have a trust and estate issue. Then I have other colleagues who, of course, I'm going to make referrals to you, too. And that means you don't have to try to find someone like that. So it's just like you when I say you're getting an attorney, you're getting their network as well. Yeah, and actually I want to talk about this because I think this is such an important topic, and Deborah and I talk about this a lot, is that often people think the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And while that may be true, the longer you're an entrepreneur or the longer you're in business, the less grease you give. And there's this weird thing that happens is when you're in a partnership and there's gratitude that's going both ways and the attitude is positive to promote each other and help each other. And, you know, if I'm referring people to my law firm that we work with and the law firm's also referring to other food customers that they work with to us, then there's this relationship and trust and gratitude and you're more willing to give things away or, and you don't go through bills with fine tooth combs. And, you know, there's a little bit of a trust that's built. And I think it's so important that there's a mutual trust that we build as entrepreneurs with each other and with the, our advisors in our life. But when we have someone that's constantly at us, that's constantly demanding more, one, we're, we're, we're more in tune of making sure we catch every penny because they're demanding so much time. But we're less likely to give something away or help them out when they need help because they're already so demanding. And 
you know, we talk about it, like at the end of the day, we may spend just as much time with both, but perception is a huge thing. And when someone's demanding of you and making you feel like it's not a partnership and pushing on you and pushing on you and pushing on you, you're like, why am I doing this? I don't need this stress in my life. I could find someone else that wants to be a partner with me and I can do their production. Why take up square footage in our facility for this person when we could give it to someone else and make just as much money? And the beauty of it is we have a choice. And I think anyone out there who's really pushy with certain things, and don't get me wrong, I can be pushy sometimes, um, It's uh, but I, I try not to be. I try to make sure everything goes to a partnership. But it's the relationships are so much better. And when trust is there and, and honesty and openness, and often you end up with a better deal. And it's something that a negotiation is a funny thing. Everyone's trying to get more, but I think if everyone went to a negotiation, just straight up said what they wanted or what they needed, there's, there's a way to match it. And I'll, and I'll refer to my UNC MBA days is they give the example of, in one of my negotiation classes of an orange and mm-hmm. two little girls are arguing over an orange and the mother's like, okay, well you both here, I'm cut it in half and gave both girls orange. Well, it looks fair, right? And it looks equal, mm-hmm. but in reality it, it wasn't because one girl actually wanted the flesh of the orange and the other girl just wanted the peel. And uh-huh. so they both could have benefited. You know, I love it because on one of the slides of the presentations, because like I mentioned, I was a, I'm an adjunct professor over at Emory Law School teaching contract drafting. And that exact scenario, when we get to the negotiation class, that is it. One who wants the peel and one who actually wants the flesh. So I just laughed when you said that because I'm like, we use that in that class, but you are so right about that. And I understand, and I always tell people, you know, when they're, you know, I find people are hesitant to, they say, put things in, right, you know, I, we, I, we just work on a handshake. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, let me tell you something. Anybody of integrity never has a problem putting what they say in writing. And I said, just remember that. And I said, so when you are afraid to ask the other side about something, you're afraid what their reaction is going to be. I'm like, that should be a red flag to you because if you are of integrity, if I mean what I say, why would I have a problem with putting it in writing? No, I agree with that 100%. And I think that goes for personal relationships too. It's it's an interesting thing of what people say over the phone versus what they write in emails. And and Deborah and I talk about this a lot too. People give words a lot, but their actions are actually what they deliver. And I find that when people, when someone says, "Oh, you know, a handshake," and you can trust my word, I, I I've got to tell you about nine out of ten times that I haven't been able to trust their word. And having a contract or something to fall back on that they can actually be held accountable for is important. And actually, I'll be honest, I need to be held accountable also and as a company and we need to because sometimes we say things or we do things that don't actually pan out properly and you know, you don't want to be held accountable for that. You need to be held accountable for what actually is deliverable. Like we can bring in a customer and we can start a conversation. We can do testing and we're like, oh yeah, we can do it that way. But what happens? We actually go to test the product and we can't do it that way. You know, we may have been had another product and we said, okay, we can do it that way because it is that way. So, I mean, I'm more careful with my words, obviously as a company, but you want to make sure that at the end of the day, the contract determines how that relationship moves forward um, legally. Exactly. 
And it also, I tell people, because I have somebody call and they start talking about the country, I'm like, wait a minute, let me pull it up, <laughs> because I'm doing hundreds of these, and I cannot remember, like, I can remember my own for me. So I was like, let me pull it up, let me review it, and let's make sure we're all on one accord. But it is, it's a good document to be able to help you remember, because I'm like, it's hard to remember. I'm like, I can barely remember almost one day to the next, so let alone what was in your contract. And I'm like, that's what a contract is there for to remind you what those terms are. Are they also good to be like, you know what, um, you know, when you're thinking about entering into another one with another customer, another client, it gives you the framework to where you don't have to try to reinvent the wheel. Like, you know what, this is pretty much similar to client X. So, you know what, let's use this same one here. It just kind of helps put things in perspective. So I'm like, contracts aren't bad. I'm like, they are very good tools to help us remember what goes on, also helps us try to, uh, you know, put things in the future and put things in place in the future and just kind of reminds us of who's supposed to be doing what. And, you know, if I said you were supposed to be doing items A through J and then I'm doing K through Z, then that's fine. You know, at least we all, because I'm like, we talked about it maybe two months ago, but now let's see. And if we have it in writing in the contract, we know who's supposed to be doing what. So it just helps everybody stay on one accord about it and just be of integrity, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I think that contracts are such a great tool too, as when you are talking with, like for us, when we're talking with a new client, it's kind of a great outline to go through each of the terms. And sometimes, you know, some of the conversations can be a little bit awkward. Some people aren't totally comfortable talking about money or whatnot, but you can talk about all the different terms from the process of it being uh, produced to the procurement of the product, to the shipping, to the payment terms, to all the different things, even who has what life liability and at what point does each person's liability start and stop and it kind of really gives everyone a really clear roadmap as to what that relationship is going to look like and i think it makes it so that you can have a much healthier relationship going forward because everyone's on the same page. I think most of the time that conflict happens is there is a misunderstanding as to who was supposed to do what. And so if you can clarify that from the get go, i think you're really solidifying that relationship. Yep, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. I tell, uh, even when I'm teaching contract drafting, I they do not negate the importance of also talking with people. And I will tell a client in a heartbeat, especially when we're in negotiations, I was like, pick up that phone, call and find out. I said, because I right now I think we just uh, war on words. And I'm like, nope, you tell them the intention behind it. And I was like, that is a whole lot better. And I was like, and it's you business person to business person because a lot of times I'm like when you bring the lawyer in that changes the dynamic of the relationship sometimes and so I'm like I'm a big one on let's do what it takes so that we can make sure that this moves along and not trying to just like oh well you know, bring the lawyers. No, sometimes not. And sometimes bringing the lawyers in on some of this might actually hinder some things. So I also want to make sure to be practical. And I'm that kind of attorney that is a practical attorney. Let's see what it takes to kind of move things forward. And I also want to make sure. And I, I tell people, too, hey, that's you pay me to be the bad guy. I said, so sometimes when I'm sending over this document that I've redlined and marked up like crazy, I say, you tell them your attorney did this. Let me be the bad guy. I'm like, that's what you're paying me to do. And if it turns out that they aren't happy with all of those particular revised changes, those proposed changes, then you say, you know, that was my attorney that did it. Now let's see which ones that we are going to agree upon. And I'm like, in that way that you save face 
with your business counterpart and you let me be the bad guy. And I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> right. I think those red lines too are helpful, right? Because contracts can be written um, in various ways. And a lot of times people are like, oh, I want to be the person to draft because they get the opportunity to kind of maybe angle it their way. And I think that when people are redlining contracts, a lot of times it's just trying to find that center point where it's going to work for both parties. And while maybe that first draft of a red line takes it back the other direction, there's, I feel like it's a conversation of like, maybe a part doesn't work for someone, but that just needs to be articulated and then figured out how to be put in writing so that everyone's kind of getting what they want back to the oranges again, you know, right back to the negotiation of, well, maybe one person wanted one thing and the other person wanted the other. And we're making assumptions about what the other person wants when we take our first uh, draft. That's exactly, you, you said it so eloquently. I tell folks all the time, I'm like, look, when you receive a contract from the other side, especially the first time, you should expect that contract to be one-sided in favor of that other party. I say it's not that particular party's duty to tell you what things are problematic for you. That's for you to take their contract, you review it, carefully review it, see what's problematic for you, and then explain that to the other side or go ahead, make proposals, changes, and then we discuss and see what's going on with it and how it's problematic, and let's see if we can work through this so that it can end up being a win-win for both parties. Well, and one of the things that I think is interesting, and, and we do this as a company now, we have a lot of people come to us, and we actually, after our initial conversation, we put out there that we should sign an NDA and a non-compete, because it was surprising how many people came to us and didn't ask for it. And in the spirit of being partners with someone, we're like, well, you need to protect yourselves, so you should probably have people signing this, but we'll go ahead and give you a draft of the one that we have and and make sure that you have one in place and this is probably something you should use in your conversations but so many people have never been given the legal advice as food entrepreneurs or in the background they come from that a non-compete or an nda is so important for their business when they're going out looking for co-packers or going out there and looking for someone to market their products or brands or whatever and it's an interesting thing that happens and then they get years down the road like well they just created a product that was exactly the same as mine well, because mm -hmm. you didn't legally protect yourself. Like, you know, you may be the warrior that goes out and fights for your brand. And, and I just used this term recently as an entrepreneurial warrior. But at the end of the day, you need someone that helps build your defense um, and protects your business and put up those walls. And that e is your legal documentation and your contracts and your NDAs and your insurance policies and all these things that... It's not only about going and conquering the world as an entrepreneur, but it's also making sure you have the right defenses in places, and there's a balance there. I mean, name any sport. You, you have an offensive strategy, and you have a defensive strategy, and it's the same as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. I agree. You are so right about that, and I always stress to clients as well, like, you know what? I, I, you know, do you have a risk advisor so that you can be able to understand about insurance? Like, insurance is a great tool, especially to try to help uh, it's a tool to be able to pay for when you have indemnification clauses in there. But I'm like, at the end of the day, if, if you have promised and you are required to indemnify someone, they're going to get their money one way or the other, and you hope that you have insurance to be able to cover it. But if you don't, you know, I'm like, of course, they're coming after the business. So it's also just trying to understand some of these things because, you know, folks, I say, you know, they call us the, the, the lawyers, we're the deal killers, we, you know, we're the buzz kills. I'm like, no, what I think is we're just trying to help you try to avoid 
these pitfalls that we might have experienced or we've seen others experience, and we don't want you to go down that same path. So we have to try to think through what are some of these worst-case scenarios here because you know you're so excited to enter into that deal. But I'm like, sometimes we don't know about working with others until we're in the trenches with them on a daily basis. And one of the things I think about that is I want you to know how you're going to get out of that contract before you ever enter into it. And I'm like, and you do that before you ever sign it because, hey, you may just end up not liking working with someone. It may not be anything in particular that is necessarily wrong. You just don't like their style. And it's like, okay, hey, have a 30-day termination without cause on that so that, you know, hey, this isn't working for us. Let's be able to part ways amicably and because we know that if you don't have uh, ways to do that, it turns ugly and it can turn ugly really quickly and when money's involved, I don't care if it's family, friends or whatever, it's just, I hate to see how relationships can be ruined because of things such as that. No, and I agree with that and I think that expectations are so important and even in relationships, so obviously you want them in your business relationships as well because you know, there are certain things that, you know, someone expects someone to do, but the conversation needs to take place. It's like before you ever get into a marriage or things like that, you should probably have the conversation of what the, who does what and what the expectations are and what the other opinion person's opinion are. And, and Deborah and I are fortunate enough that we've had enough of life experience that we sort of have those conversations and, and had them at the beginning, but have them as new things come up and who's responsible to what and how we're comfortable with things. Because it's the same in a business relationship. Like who really is responsible for what? Is it my responsibility to fulfill your orders or is it yours? And missing that in a contract can be a big deal. Like it can cause a lot of problems. And then they're like, well, I thought it was your thing. And then I'm like, well, I didn't price for it. Now I got to add it to the the thing. And they're like, wait, it's going to cost me more than you already quoted me. And I'm like, well, I thought you were doing the film. And so you're right. It can quickly spiral out. And the exit strategy I think is, is, is important in business and that if a relationship changes that there it wants to be there has to be a way out that suits everyone that doesn't take years upon years of legal problems or or four years of being in court because that you can drag it on in a court system if you're really angry and you're really resentful you know and i think that's probably true in any law that there is but in business law, you know, I've seen it with, with, with people is that they didn't properly protect themselves or have those exit strategies in their legal contracts. And, you know, fighting in court for years upon years and hundreds, if not millions of dollars down the tubes over arguing over something that just seems so ridiculous, you know, and it helps keep egos in check, I feel as well. I do as well, and you are so right because it takes the time, effort, money to be able to do that, and it's like who really wants to do that? So that's why I'm like, let's think about some of these things on the front end um, as we are trying to get into this particular transaction. Let's think about these on, on the front end. Uh, and Karen, I'm sorry we went down such a tangent on the legal side uh, and not more on the food. Um but if there's, like, I, I want to sort of give you the floor and just, I mean, if there's anything that you want to talk about or share or talk about your products or, or law firm or whatever, I sort of want to just give you the time to do that and share anything that you want to share or anything that you had coming into the podcast that you had on your mind that you wanted to 
to bring to the, the to the front. So I just sort of want to give you the floor to talk about whatever you'd like. Okay, um, and I, and thank you for giving me the floor. And I really appreciate. It. I don't feel like it was a tangent at all regarding the uh, legal, um, because it all kind of intertwines. And I'm glad to be able to have that opportunity to share this because I want to make sure that entrepreneurs have a solid foundation because it's these types of things that when you don't have them, they can be so problematic to you. I know folks are so excited about entering into that transaction, that joint venture, or fulfilling that deal. But then, like you're saying, if there are key terms where you both are misinterpreting it, it can change the dynamic of everything. And I, and what I would like for folks to do is let's think about these things on the front end. Let's get, whether we're food entrepreneurs or any other kind of entrepreneur, these types of things, especially having a good legal foundation, is just so uh, such an important thing to do. And one of the things that I'm also going to be working on is trying to do more webinars because I realize that uh, people also want to be able to have access to information and not at a particular time. Some people might want to watch them, you know, in the middle of the night. So I'm trying to do more of that as well. And I, I'm trying to become more, uh, what is it, social media savvy to understand that, you know, people are buying services different than they are in the past, and they're buying these products and services differently. So that's why I need to have more of a presence regarding that with respect to law, as well as my food products company as well. So I know that um, I, I'm having to do more of that. So thank you for that opportunity. Uh, with respect to the food products, you know, I always, especially this time of the year, this is where I am reaching out to people to see where there could be places to possibly vend during the holiday season, so in November and December of being in office buildings, because I always think that's such a great opportunity to be able to share the product and then also to provide great um, gifts for others. I always tell people the Miss Jenny's treat, Simply Divine Pecans, is a great treat for yourself or a great gift for others. And I know that firsthand because that's how they came about as far as gifts for others. And it just broadened from there and blossomed from there. And even now when I am fulfilling, I fulfill law firms' orders, just others' orders at holiday season. And what I love is when I get the feedback from those clients saying that, hey, that person, they called me up or they emailed me about those because, and they were like, I've sent them other holiday gifts and I've never heard anything. And they've called me and I said, well, you know what? That just means it's a great touch point for you. And that means it's, you know, another opportunity to talk to that client about something else and to stay on their radar screen. So that's one of the things that I really appreciate with respect to the product is uh, getting that kind of feedback. And so, uh, and then, of course, I need to do more of, like I say, the social media marketing to be able to just share because I do get quite a bit of orders just from folks who, you know, they, they saw the product online and they wanted to try it. And I'm always grateful for those uh, clients as well. So just trying to uh, get everybody. I always, I think on the website, I have contract maker and baker. Engineer didn't fit in there as well. I need to get some kind of little tag for that as well. But it's, to me, it's just a, it's, it's totally different. And I think I like inspiring people because people are like, wait a minute, you've been doing pecans and you're a lawyer? Like, yeah, you can do it all. You know, my thing is, and, and who cares what other people think? It's like, well, if you're a lawyer, why in the world are you in the kitchen baking pecans? Because I can and I'm, I have the opportunity to do so. So, you know, my thing is any gift and talent that I have on this side, I want to use them, use them to 
the fullest extent possible. So if there's some ways that I can be able to assist others and provide information to others, it, to me, it's like I, there's something that I enjoy doing and that I want to do. So Karen, number one, I would, I'd love to have you back on the podcast to talk about the pecan side more. Um, and do another episode a few months from now and just really dive into that piece since we sort of went off on a tangent. But number two is I'd like to ask you if you'd be interested in doing sort of a, like a 45-minute educational series on on law and give you a little more time to think about it and do another interview where we just, because we, we're launching educational series for entrepreneurs on this podcast, and I feel it might be a good way to promote your, your law firm, um, okay. uh, Mills Law LLC, again, anyone who's out there. But it but it also be a cool thing to give people that perspective, especially because your perspective is so unique both as a food entrepreneur and a corporate uh, lawyer. And so I just think our practicing corporate law, I think it's so important that people get an understanding of it and have a basis. So if that's something you'd be interested in, I'd love to follow up with you and, and do an educational series um, episode on that. Uh, and you have time to think about it and we could coordinate that as you have time. And then also obviously uh get you back on and dive more into the pecans as we get into the holiday seasons this this winter sounds good i would i would greatly appreciate it i would love to participate in both so yes and thank you so much for having me well and thank you for taking the time to be on and gosh it was it was awesome and i really this episode turned out to be so amazing with just your plethora of knowledge over, over so many things and your life experiences that have sort of culminated into what you have, which is a, like a food entrepreneur and, and a lawyer and an engineer, which is like you're the, the builder, the baker, and the maker. And it's just so oh, kind like of... That. I like that. <laughs> that's so cool. And it just came to my mind. I'm like, just because it all sort of comes together. And in a way, like being a food entrepreneur and legal background, I mean, we talk about it on the podcast a little bit as we're wrapping up here, but you know, we're, you're, you're a dream builder. And while people maybe see lawyers as buzz kills, they also keep you from ODing and dying. If we're going to talk about and use a drug reference, because lawyers help us build our dreams by giving them structure. Cause as entrepreneurs, we're in the clouds, we're dreaming, we're going forward. We're our minds, 5,000 feet in the air. And, you know, we operationally can get grounded. We can, we can get grounded by our accountant and our financial needs, but we also need legal grounding. I feel like, because it's so important. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. You are quite welcome. And again, thank you both so much. It's been such a pleasure to be interviewed by you. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And everyone in the audience, thank you for listening in. Uh, thank you all 56 countries that are downloading our podcast and, and listening to what we're doing here. I know we're concentrating on U.S. companies right now, but we have a few international episodes we've released so far, and we're continuing to build those up. So please keep sharing it with people. Keep passing on the word. Keep telling people about what we're doing. Anyone that you know that's interested in food and beverage entrepreneurism, please keep passing it on because we're spreading and I think people are getting a lot of value at what we're giving away here. And, and thank you to all the entrepreneurs again who have been on this show and continue to pass on the knowledge. I, I think it's just so amazing that we're building a world of entrepreneurs and so 
easily passing on information through the platforms that we have through podcasting. So thank you everyone for listening in. Thank you, Deborah, for being my co-host often off and on uh, not every episode but it's fun she's dedicated she puts up with all my time spent on being on the podcast and and launching it so thank you and um everyone have a great day if you want to reach out to me and be on the podcast it's justin at the food com and on instagram and facebook at justin and the food entrepreneurs thank you everyone for listening in and have a great day